This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast. NLL free agency kicked off with a bang and there is a lot to break down. Plus, we can start looking forward to the draft in September. PLL championships are off to the semifinals, so Kyle Devitt of Lacrosse will stop by and Method Man drop the boot. All that more on OTCB. Should I stick them or not? Call a tech, the ref tripping. It's fitting to be hot. I'm a menace. Too many minutes in the penalty box. We hit the field like all day like all night like and we fight like offense like defense like whole squad like we hitting y'all like what it sound 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 like. Get on it. Come on. M-E-T-H-O-D, man. Why you got to do it like that, my friend? Welcome to the Off the Crossbar podcast, everybody. If you hadn't heard that before, that was the world-exclusive hip-hop song of the PLL, Boom, by Method Man, of the legendary Wu-Tang Clan. I don't know how but I don't care. I love that it happened. I, I've always known that Method Man was a lacrosse guy. It was something I had kind of looked up a long, long time ago um, when I was a super hip-hop junkie. But the fact that the PLL was able to make that connection and make that happen is absolutely fantastic. Um, it's catchy. It's in my head. It's classic. It's got all the references. It's amazing. I love it. Um I hope you do too. And I hope you've been loving all of the lacrosse that we've been able to get to watch over the last few weeks. Sadly, it's going to come to an end when the PLL Championship ends this Sunday. We'll get to all that. We'll get to all that. My name's Teddy Jenner. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar or email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. Or uh, drop a follow to the Facebook page. No, not even a Facebook page. The Instagram page, OTCB Podcast. And join us along this crazy trip of a show uh, that will have Kyle Devitt of Lacrosse talking all things PLL. As mentioned off the top, NLL Free Agency kicked off with an absolute bang. And there is so much to talk about that we could be here for a while. Also, if you hadn't heard, the NLL draft will be taking place on September 17th, virtually um, across the world. Devin Caney will host with myself, Stephen Stamp, and Tabitha Turner, amongst 
a slew of other guests. And we're going to try and bring you the draft as best we can. It's not something we wanted, but it's something that is going to be necessary. And hopefully we're going to bring you a star-studded draft full of amazing rookies that are going to be the future of our game. Yes, it's going to look different. Yes, there might be the odd technical hiccup. But 2020 has been a technical hiccup for the last eight months. So I hope you'll join us online or wherever you watch. It'll be on Facebook, YouTube, BR Live. uh, So you'll be able to stream it wherever you're at and follow along. Uh, The New York Riptide have the number one overall pick. Uh, It is safe to say unless... The most shocking of trades comes across Rich Lisk and Jim Veltman's desks. Uh, they'll be taking Jeff Teat. Even if DeHogan Anticoke comes out, I still think they take Jeff Teat. And I don't think is going to come out. I think he waits for the Fort Worth and be in that, be the face of a brand new franchise. I think it'll be smart. Better spot. New franchise, wait a year, let this all pan out. Next year's rookie class is going to be insane anyway because we're going to have all these guys who are waiting to get into the NLL going back to college for a fifth year. So New York will go one, followed by Rochester and Vancouver. Those are your top three. But some picks have moved over the last little while as we've gone through a few trades in free agency. We've also been going through this craziness of the first six days of NLL free agency and there was a lot of speculation of what a few key UFAs were going to do where was Cody going to go if anywhere but back to Halifax I think we can all safely say that there was about a 95% chance he was going to land back in the Maritimes with Thunderbirds with his uncle The only franchise he's ever played for. I don't think there was really ever any doubt. However, Cody did what he was obligated to do, or maybe not obligated, but what he is allowed to do. And he weighed all of his options and he listened to every option. And if you were a general manager, no matter where you stood with your salary and how much money you did or did not have to offer, if you weren't, trying to make a pitch for Cody Jamison. I'm not sure you're really doing the best you can. I'm not saying everybody should or everybody was really in the running to get him. But throw something at the guy. Just see what you can do. And maybe he says yes. Again, 5% chance he wasn't... 5% chance he was leaving. Very small percentage. And I'm sure there was probably a handful of teams... If that, they were truly in the running. But Cody took his time. He listened to all the offers that were there. And at the end of the day, he lands back in Halifax. He gets his good buddy Warren Hill to doctor up an incredible he's back video from the Mighty Ducks. The Thunderbirds put the Thunderbirds. Thunderbirds, I'm not sure why that's so hard for me today. The Thunderbirds put out their own He's Back video. 
But that was kind of at the end, like the end of all those zaniness in free agency. Then even before free agency started, on the eve of free agency, Paul Day and Derek Keenan get together and do a little flipping and flopping of right-handers. Josh Courier and the seventh overall pick in this year's draft, along with a first overall in next year's draft, go from Philly to Saskatchewan in exchange for Ben McIntosh, the 34th and 35th overall picks in this year's draft, and a second-round pick in the 2023 draft, go to Philadelphia. Ben McIntosh is in the Philadelphia area. Uh, That's where he went to college. It's where he's living now, even though he's a West Coast guy. I believe his girlfriend is there. Uh, Her family's out there. There was a lot of reasons for this deal to get made. And I think it's a great pickup for Paul Day in the Wings. It was the start of an incredible week for Paul Day and the Philadelphia Wings. Yes, they give up a seventh round pick in this year's draft. That could be kind of tough. But what Paul Day has been building in Philadelphia is slowly turning into a bit of an Eastern juggernaut. They re-signed Zach Higgins. They've just recently in the past 48 hours signed um, Angus Goodleaf, who was uh, a street or an unrestricted free agent um, after he was released by New York. Then they bring in Corey Small from Buffalo. They also bring in Alex Krepensek from Georgia. And they're starting to really build an incredible two-way team. And I really like what they're doing. Kudos to Paul Day. I thought he so far has had a fantastic free agency. Halifax gets Jammer back. Hold on, we got to finish this trade. So... Ben McIntosh, Philly, great. Josh Courier to Saskatchewan. They're two different, I almost said similar. They're two different players, but play on the same side and both bring incredible tangibles to their new clubs. I really like Josh Courier's game. It's gritty, it's rugged, but it's got a little bit of flair to it. And I think he's going to fit in well in Saskatchewan. And so not only do the Rush get Josh Courier, they get the 7th overall pick. They get a pick in next year's draft, which is huge, because that's going to be an interesting draft class as well. But they also re-signed Ryan Dilks to the franchise tag, Chris Corbeil, and Kyle Rubish to one-year deals. And then, kind of shocking everybody, they bring back... Adrian Sorchetti. They're getting the band back together, per se, for one more year at least, because all these guys have signed one-year deals. If those guys were planning on staying for a long term in Saskatchewan, I think you see those guys sign extended deals, much like Brad Cree and Chown Rogers in Toronto, who signed five- and seven-year deals, respectively. But those guys are only signing one-year deals in Saskatchewan. And I put this out on Twitter a while ago. I might have even said it in an all-talk, no-action. 
But I think we're starting to see this incredible Saskatchewan dynasty, if you wanted to call it that. Just this franchise as a success over its first 10 years. Plus. But since they've been in Saskatchewan, I think we're now going to see the end of that. I think this might be the last ride to steal a great show pun. Do those guys just go for one more kick at it and then they all kind of leave Saskatchewan next year? Because they're all going to be UFAs again. So something to keep your eye on as we move towards next year. The other team I thought did really well in free agency was Halifax. They get Jammer back. They re-sign Hossack. He wasn't going to go anywhere, but they get him back. They get Stephen Keel back. That's another nice addition. But then they add Steph LeBlanc from New England. And adding Steph LeBlanc gives them now five left-handers. Jammer, Steph, Fennell, Kyle Jackson, and Benny. Something's got to give there. I don't think you can carry five lefties. I think someone's going to want one of those guys. And maybe you can package Eric Fennell and ship him away. Because I don't think you're trading Benny. KJ seems to be a guy who's in market, doing a lot for your organization. And obviously Jammer's there for a long time. And you just bring in Steph. So something's got to give there. We're going to talk Dougie Jameson in a minute. The other team, because I know that's a hot talking point when you talk about Halifax. The other team that did pretty darn well, and this was the biggest diamond in the free agency, was the Riptide signing Callum Crawford. Now, I don't know how big the Brinks truck was that showed up at Callum's doorstep. And I don't know how many gifts they offered him of Riptide swag. But the deal had to be pretty sweet from Rich Lisk and the Riptide to Callum Crawford to get him to leave a team that was looking like a very, very tough team to contend with in the East in New England and move to a second-year expansion franchise that is really rebuilding itself back to sort of year one. So they are able to lure Callum Crawford away. Massive, massive get. The sneakiest get, and I'm not sure one that people are giving enough merit to, and I still don't, like, I'm, wait, Ted, just finish your thought. Steven Orleman was a third goaltender in Georgia, the brother of Kevin Orleman. New York thinks he is their guy. Now, if you remember last year, New York had probably the worst goaltending tandem the leagues may have ever seen. And now they've ha- they had Gus Angus Goodleaf, but unfortunately that injury during the summer didn't allow him to play. So that was a huge loss. And Goa Abrams was nowhere near the replacement, nor is he nowhere near ready to be an NLL starter. They truly believe that Steven Orleman is their future between the pipes. Now the big question is, is he ready now? 
And I'm not going to go on any record saying goaltenders aren't ready anymore because Dougie and Warren made me eat crow hard. But Stephen Orleman has zero pro minutes. And if you were going to throw him behind that defense in New York and have him be your number one, you're definitely going to need to boost that defense up some more. They're going to need some bodies. They brought John Harnett in. He is a very physical and serviceable defender that can help you out the back door. They still need more help, though. And I still think they're going to need a veteran goaltender to be the backup to Steven Orleman because he's going to need somebody to lean on and somebody to rely on and, and bounce ideas off. Somebody who has been around this league long enough to know the ins and outs of being a pro goaltender, especially in this day and age. Much like Brandon Miller was that guy for Zach Higgins in Philadelphia. I don't think Brandon Miller's the guy, but somebody of that ilk. Unfortunately, I just don't know who's out there to be that guy. And Philadelphia snatched up Gussie. So they're not, New York's not bringing him back. And so I like them giving the opportunity to Stephen Orleman because he wasn't going to get it behind his brother or Pooley in Georgia. I just don't know if he's ready to be the guy. And if he's not, who is going to be there to help him mature and grow and get to being the guy? That is a storyline that I will be very keen on watching because... Lisk and Veltman and Laddie, those guys are going to build themselves a competitive team. And by adding Callum and some of the other pieces that they've added in the last little while, Brent Adams, Andrew Peroni, uh, Carter Badur, Braden Davis, they're bringing in some guys, Derek Downs, they're bringing in some guys that are going to be able to help them. I just don't know, A, if it's enough, and B, if they're quite ready yet, they're working on it. And I got faith in Rich List that he's going to do everything he can to make them a competitive team in that East. But I still think there's a little bit of work to do. And there's still a lot of room in free agency to go. We still got a lot of time. Teams are still signing players. Teams are trading players. Leo Storos and a second round pick in 21 traded to New York. There was another guy that's added to their defense. Traded to Georgia or traded to New York in exchange for a first round pick in 2021. Arlotta and Keenan moving bodies, collecting picks. Other teams shipping off first round picks, trying to shore up holes and make themselves contenders right away. It's two sides of the coin that a lot of teams struggle with. Vancouver has done some moves. They've added Garrett McIntosh. They brought in Steve Fryer. They released Nolan Clayton because they brought in Stephen Fryer. But one of the follow points of the PLL is the amount of American guys that are being signed by NLL teams. Christian Mazzone has been signed. Uh, we just recently saw the signing of Jake Bernhardt 
to San Diego. San Diego has done a very interesting job in recruiting guys from the PLL. Obviously, Joe Ty has a lot of connections between the two, um, but bringing in Jay Carlson and Noah Richard are two PLL guys they want to give a shot at in the indoor game. And why not? Why not see what these field guys can do? San Diego had eyes on Joel McCready. They lost out on him, but they go ahead and get Greg Harnett. Bring in a little D guy, a little grit, a little toughness. And since they couldn't get Joel McCready, well, let's go get a championship winner in Reese Dutch. That is a fantastic pickup for the San Diego Seals. In the last few years, they've lost Garrett Billings, Dan Dawson, Kyle Buchanan. And so now they bring in Reese Dutch. Can he complement that young offense and be a veteran presence on that right-hand side? That is a lethal right-hand side now with Noble, Berg, and Dutch. On the other side, what? Greer, Fields, Jackson, and Audie. It's a wonderful, wonderful offense. Overall, I think there were a lot of teams that made a lot of really interesting moves, and I think a lot of teams are understanding how they need balance as well. Because the one thing I felt about the Philadelphia acquisition of Ben McIntosh was while they have Rambo and Blaze and Vitarelli on that lefty side, they needed a pass-first weapon on that lefty side. And they got it by adding Corey Small. And now Small will be able to whip that ball to Crowley, Hickey, and Benny Mack. Like, that offense just got a lot scarier. And for once, we've had a free agency that has had drama and excitement and storylines that we're going to be able to follow throughout the whole year to see how these moves play out. But maybe the biggest talking point has been the Doug Jameson offer sheet slash matching between Halifax and New England. And not just because it's had the two social sides bickering back and forth about weak deals and finishing deals and all this stuff. If you've read Stephen Stamp's article on, on Inside the Cross about UFAs and RFAs, this might start the conversation about doing away with compensation picks for losing UFAs and switching them to RFAs, which I think is a brilliant idea. Because one of the points that Stamper makes is that if you lose a UFA, they're giving you, a lot of times, a compensation pick that's at the end of the first round. So all that does is push the second round picks further and further down the line. But if it was RFAs, at least you're getting something for losing somebody in compensation. And it probably wouldn't be as high a draft pick that you're losing as an RFA. Because usually those guys aren't as old and aren't making as, as much money. The Doug Jameson deal also brings to light that Teams are trying to build the pot, as it were. And 
guys are starting to get paid. And as this league grows, and as we get more expansion, and as more money comes into the league, I think players are starting to see those dollar signs and wanting to get just paid. Justly paid and just paid. Both at the same time. And so Doug Jameson, who had an incredible year last year and was and is the reigning goaltender of the year, New England couldn't afford to lose him. So they were almost obligated to match all those, the deal and the bonuses and the signings. And they're going to have to find a way to make that all fit into their payment structure. And that can't be easy because everybody kind of feels like they deserve their piece of the pie. And if you haven't read Stamp's article, and if you are unaware, teams are allotted $30,000 a year to pay out to players for performance bonuses, signing bonuses, and like playoffs status slash success, if that makes sense. Obviously, not everybody gets those things, but teams do say, player A, if we make the playoffs, we'll give you $1,000. It'll be $1,500 if it's a home playoff game. $2,000 if we get to the second round, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Or it could be if you score 30 goals this year, we'll give you $500. If you score 30 and get 90 points, we'll give you 1000 Just things like that. Those bonuses all get tied together, so you're only allowed to spend $30,000 of that. And the reports are that Doug Jameson was getting a big chunk of that signing bonus offered to him or of that bonus allotment offered to him as a signing bonus. So now New England has to match that deal, including that signing bonus, and now restructure other players' deals to make sure that they have the money. So there was a lot of contention between the two clubs when that deal happened because some people think it was a little shady some people didn't think it was in good standing, but other people and GMs think it was one GM doing all he could to try to make his team better. But the outlying question I still have. Yes, Doug Jamison is a Six Nations guy. Yes, he is the reigning goaltender of the year. And yes, I believe he has some sort of familiar relation to Kurt Styers. Don't quote me on that last one. But Warren Hill was their guy this year. And he was a goalie of the year candidate. And he was having an incredible year. He is also a Six Nations guy. And he also may have some relation to Kurt Stiers. So why would they go after Dougie when they already have Warren? And if they would have gotten Dougie, now they would have had Dougie, Warren, and Dubinsky. So much like they ha- already have a strangle jam on the left side with all those left-handers, they would have had an, a, a huge roadblock at the goaltender position. And somebody would have wanted out. First person that would have wanted out most likely would have been Warren. Because he would not want to go from the number one and then all of a sudden become the number two behind Dougie. 
I just, I can't see it happening. Dubinsky is probably sitting there thinking to himself, what the heck do I got to do to get a shot here? And now my GM is trying to bring in a third goaltender to bump me down the depth chart. Wild and crazy times during NLL free agency, and I, for one, have to say that I absolutely love it. It just makes for better talking points. It makes us sort of more real as a league. And that's, I know that's not what I want to say, but it brings us to the big time. You know what I mean? Which is awesome. I just talked about free agency for like almost a half an hour. I told you there was a lot to talk about. And there's probably going to be more to talk about next week, but we got to move on. The NLL draft is just over a month away, September 17th. Devin Caney, myself, Stephen Stamp, and Tabitha Turner will be hosting. Um, again, it'll be all online, so you'll be able to watch it. Uh, I can't wait to be a part of it. Uh, it's going to be fantastic. But again, this is the first time we've ever done something like this. So if there are some glitches and hiccups, don't go running to Twitter and lose your mind. Just take a breath and enjoy the fact that we can talk about the NLL. Because I have huge FOMO right now. NHL playoffs, basketball playoffs, PGA Championships this weekend, PLL Championships are this weekend. Like, I want some dang, darn, dog it National Lacrosse League action. So I can't wait for September and the NLL Draft. Uh, hopefully you join us. And we'll bring you more as we get closer to that date. We'll start talking to some prospects, start talking to some GMs and some people who will be involved and just figure out where everybody's thoughts and minds are at because, as we've discussed, this is going to be a very, very interesting draft with players sitting out the first year, players maybe not going to be going back to college. Do you take a guy now? Do you take a guy for later? There's a lot to go down. What is going down this weekend is the PLL Championship Series semifinals and finals. The semis go on Thursday, which is today, so we're all getting ready to watch them. But if you have been watching, you have probably seen some of the best field across you have ever seen. More importantly, I'm absolutely loving the PLL style of play. A little shorter fields, shot clock, the face-off rules, and just, you know, all the little tweaks that they've made I think have really allowed the PLL to take the field lacrosse game to the next step and make it incredibly entertaining for the viewer and what Ryan Boyle um, and the entire NBC crew have been doing from a broadcast standpoint has been phenomenal some of the best coverage our game has ever ever had Paul Burmeister that was the name that blanked in my head is Ryan Boyle's play-by-play partner in the booth. He's been fantastic. And there have been so many bright spots and so many talking points and so many incredible storylines that it's just been so entertaining that it's hard to take your eyes off of. And even when it's, you know, bad blood between Matt Gaudette and every other player that's ever played lacrosse, I love it. It just adds to it. And we're going to talk about it with Kyle Devitt here in a second. But allowing those players to be personable and to express themselves and just be themselves 
makes them more appealing to the fans. And from game one all the way through to today's games and through Sunday, it has been so entertaining. Drama-filled, comebacks, incredible individual performances on both sides of the ball. And we still got three games left. It's been absolutely phenomenal. I have enjoyed it, and I'm going to continue enjoying it. And I know our next guest here on the show has been enjoying it as well. He's an inside lacrosse contributor. He writes for Lacrosity, a newsletter that you need to subscribe to and check out, L-A-C-R-O-C-I-T-Y. He is Kyle Devitt, and he's right here on the Off the Crossbar podcast. Joined now by Mr. PLL, the guy who covers it all and a little bit more, Kyle Devitt joins us on the show. Kyle, how are you, brother? I'm great, man. I'm, uh, you know, three games in a row. Just, I wanted more. Yeah. I can't explain it. I it's, wanted more. It's, it's, it's lucky for all of us that we get lacrosse and we haven't had it for a while. And so those days where we don't have lacrosse, like today, it seems like withdrawal. Oh, for sure. Especially the last two weeks of just like constant stimulus just pumped right? into our brains. Uh, I've, I've really enjoyed it. It has been fantastic, and you got to give the credit to, to Paul and Mike and everybody behind the scenes um, that have put this together, and they've done it really seamlessly. And when we've watched, you know, the NHL's underway and basketball's getting started, baseball's having some issues, and even the MLL, when they had their bubble, had some issues. How has the PLL been able to do it so seamlessly, you think? So I think the way they approached it is uh, the thing about Mike and Paul is they see everything as an opportunity. You know, it's that, it's that entrepreneurial spirit. And I think they took that and applied it to a impossible situation, right? Uh, Them kind of looking at holding this tournament, holding this series in a way that Uh, was safe for players and uh, feasible for broadcasters and staff to also, you know, participate in is incredible, you know, and they were, they weren't the first sport to come back, right? They weren't the first league to come back, but they were the first league to announce they were going to do it. And uh, people probably thought they were crazy at the time they announced it, but they have, you know, by and large uh, pulled it off. And they've done it really, really well. NBC Sports, NBC Sports Gold, being able to watch it from my computer on TV up here in Canada has been a blessing since NLL is not going to be back for a while. It's been a real nice break. What's been the biggest surprise for you during this last week and a half? Oh, wow. Uh, I think, you know, there's a lot of surprises with how teams have shook out in terms of uh, you look at guys last year, I was playing, I call it playing the game, but I was talking to Patrick McEwen of inside the cross and we were looking at all stars from last year and from PLL. And then we were looking at their numbers this year and, you know, you can't predict the success of a professional player in a field setting year to year. It's, it's, it's almost impossible. And, you know, that's something I learned in the last like 15 years covering the league, but I think when players graduate from college and they go to play at the next level, there's a certain level of expectation uh, that they're all going to be stars. And I got to tell you, it's not going to happen. 
it's it's just flat out not going to happen. Sometimes guys get, you know, just like other professional sports, guys get drafted into the wrong situation. Uh, There's three guys ahead of them and they don't get to see the field and they go, okay, well, I don't want to do this anymore. And they stop because that's kind of an option with lacrosse at this point still, Um, even though the money is, is much better than it, than it has been in the past. Uh, I think when you look at and you break down new players in the league, uh, that's the thing that's been the most exciting. The the Zach Couriers, um, the Rob Pinnells, uh, even, you know, Jesse Bernhardt ha- has been, you know, incredible to watch uh, despite uh, the result from the chaos the other night. Mm-hmm. Um, he was the best defender, you know, so it's it's great to see the impact of and, and even listen, Tim Sudan totally remaking a team in one year. My boy, Sudo. It's crazy. And so I love all the surprising, maybe I don't, I don't want to say like I wasn't surprised by anything, but if anything, you're, if you're looking at it from an out, outside perspective, um, just because someone has a lot of Instagram followers mm. uh, doesn't mean they're good at lacrosse. <laughs> Who are you referring to? I Lots of people. <laughs> Honestly, just like tons. Of, it's not even like one person. Like yeah. I'm not taking shots. It's no. just kind of like fans need to be ed- – It's the way I look at it is it's our job to uh, educate fans and to kind of prepare them for players to do well or like maybe, listen, you're not in a good situation, like mm-hmm. I said before. And it's it could be a struggle. And then you have like guys like Grant Amant that just like fulfill and then exceed expectations. Yeah, he's been phenomenal, man. Like He's a pleasure to watch. Like the, the low-cut shoes, the no socks, the just... You know, he, he just does it his own way, but he's silky smooth um, and has composure. He didn't come in cocky. He, he just went out and did his thing, and he's been a real treat to watch. And I've really liked uh, Costabile's game as well. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's funny. I think I think Amen's teammate uh, Christian Mazzone had the best tweet of the entire week, which was "Real swag is no swag," <laughs> right? And it's really true. <laughs> Yeah. It's, it's been great. And and one of the things that I've always liked about the PLL, you know, they let players be themselves and they can have their own attitudes and their own style, their own flair and, and their loud trash talk. And obviously the Godette thing got a lot of publicity and it kind of carried out in that Redwoods game and then a little bit in the game the other night when they had their rematch. But was there a bigger story than the, the Hartzell Ocello thing that actually had a really happy ending and how it all turned out and the amount of money that they raised for Owls Lacrosse? I mean, there were a lot of people asking me if it was a work. Yeah, right. right? That's a total and WWE I, work, man. I, I don't I, know. I honestly don't know. Still, <laughs> I wish I knew. I don't. I, I have a feeling, but I don't know if it's a, I can't be 100% true. The fact that they turned a nasty Twitter feed or feud into uh, almost $15,000 raised for a organization yeah. is uh, maybe one of the most impressive feats in all of lacrosse yeah. in the last like five years. It was crazy. It was crazy. And you know, I, I, I think Kyle will admit that he probably didn't handle it very well at times. Um, and you know, he, he kind of came out on the wrong, looking bad on the wrong end of a few things. Did it hurt? Do you think he put too much mental effort into it and it kind of deteriorated his play, do you think? Uh, I don't that's a tough one to say. I mean, with it's, I don't have a great relationship with Harsel. Yeah. 
So uh, I'm biased if I'm going to answer this question. Please. Uh, but you know what I mean? Uh, I just think that, you know, people, players can get too far into their emotions yeah. and it can absolutely have consequences on the field. And uh, do I think that happened here? Uh, I think it did, but not as much as other people are probably projecting. I mean, yeah. it, it always affects people, right? It's all, it's always going to be, and, and the stress of our current life situation mm. is going to enhance any reaction you're already having. So I think it's a, a combination of multiple factors, but listen, I mean, it's not like he was the worst LSM in the league. That's true. You know, That's so true. look at it that way. Yeah. Positives. Always got the positives. Always got the positives. Um, speaking of positives, how damn good has Ryan Boyle been on the mic? Oh, my God. I uh, He's so good that ESPN producers chirped me for saying uh, that they should have hired him. <laughs> really? They, yeah, they yeah. clapped back oh, yeah, at I, you? Yeah. They, I, I was like, I wasn't trying to make you guys feel bad. I was just <laughs> saying, like, he's incredible. And yes, I used you as an example of like, maybe you should have given him more money, but yeah, right. sorry. Like he has been like, I get, fr I'm actually mad at him. And I'm going to tell you why. <laughs> Please. Every time he says something, I am typing like <laughs> something almost exactly the same. I'm like, stop it. But isn't that the now sign of a, a good broadcaster? That, that's the sign of a good broadcaster. Because I, I feel the same way. And oftentimes when watching him, I'm like, and I'm thinking it, and he's saying it. And you had that one tweet out where he said, I beat Ryan Boyle to a comment. <laughs> but yes. he, he just, he understands it so well and understands the game so well, and he doesn't try to either A, oversimplify it and dumb it down for us people, uh, us watching, but he also doesn't over-explain it. He keeps it simple, short, and he has learned that Telestrator and is working it to perfection. Absolutely, and he has made Burmeister better. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Really. And, and it's clear that they both put a lot of work in before broadcast. So, mm -hmm. you know, hats off to them. Like that's that's really what is selling PLL because yes. people aren't buying tickets. You can't go there. So you have to have a strong broadcast team. And, you know, I think with the exception of like maybe one game where the camera was a little out of whack mm -hmm. for like five minutes, uh, the actual like production has been impressive uh, yes. as far as filming games very much so you know they have all the angles um you know there, there's cameras right in the field and they're able to show reverse angles and slow mos and and then the stuff that they're putting out on social media is like they're getting things out in game that you usually don't see like for like maybe four or five hours after a game and that's allowing yourself the guys at the lacrosse flash everybody who's sort of doing social media work covering this allows them to put their product out that much faster. Yeah. And it's, it's been helpful in terms of analysis too, mm -hmm. because you can, uh, I, I did a 10 breakout players from the group stage and I, I kind of just grabbed, I had no trouble finding highlights that kind of not, not prove my point, but reinforce the things that I was saying. And yeah. it, it literally was just like, I'm going to plug in the guy's name and, <laughs> wow, we got like three videos I can choose from and here's the actual play I was talking about. Yeah. You know, the if a guy does something great, you're going to get a highlight of it. And yeah. there's something to be said for that. And it's not just goals. They're, they're, they're you know, the the cookies with, jo with Nier and, you know, being able to strip guys and showing defensive plays and being able to highlight defensive players, whether they're LSMs or short stick D guys. Usually you just get 
goals, saves, and hits. But now we're getting stick checks and defensive formations, and it allows the lacrosse game to be more analytical. Yeah, the uh, I particularly enjoy the rotation analysis of the archers' mm. defense. Um, just because like the, the way that you beat them is you have to beat them kind of one-on-one and hope that the two is a little late or the one slide's a little late. Yeah. Uh, but, and that's the, that's the oversimplification, right? But if you break it down into how they, how they navigate picks, how they switch, how they fight through, uh, little rub screens, all that stuff is, is fascinating and it's there on tape. Like you can just take a screenshot and advance a couple frames and you already have it. But guess what? Boyle's already done it for you. (laughs) You don't even have to do it. (laughs) Yeah. Great. Um, You mentioned that uh, you put out your breakout players uh, of the the group play. What was the breakout performance of group play? Oh, I mean, it's either any performance by Joe Nardella Mm -hmm. or Matt Rambo dropping 10 points and breaking the record. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I I don't think you could could argue other guys, but I think those two are, you know – in the MVP talks, at least, if not already won it. Yeah, and I, I you know, I, I want to ask you about Rambo and Schreiber and the comparison between those two, but I want to focus on Nardella. You know, there's been so much talk about the the change of the faceoffs and the PLL and how they're doing it just to to avoid the scrums. How has he been so successful? He he's got crazy hands. Yeah, it's just hand speed, man. Like, and and that's you know, again oversimplification there's a lot of other things that go into that technique and go into his specific style but uh and nardello has always been successful right mm-hmm. he's never been a bad face-off guy yeah. that's the thing like he's always been good and and pr- i think he's been above 50 percent like his entire career minimum uh so if you look at how he's performed uh and how people have tried to beat him it's not necessarily beating him it's beating his wings and he has incredible wings on the whip snakes mm. and they're really helping him out but sometimes he doesn't need it and the other thing too is he stays on yeah he can play he he'll, he'll let one go and he had in the first game he had a he got out of a triple and scored it's crazy like face-off guys don't do that anymore and and he does it uh connor farrell had a, a pretty impressive performance the other night uh in their game the guy has hair like Flo, uh, like Thor. He doesn't have any shooting strings in his stick, but he's been a real nice transition from a football player to a face-off guy. And there's a lot of those stories in the PLL. Yeah, he's he's basically kind of applying the the aspect of his physicality to the position. And you know, you saw guys like like Greg Gorenlian do that, and then mix that with technique. And you're getting this kind of new generation of face-off guys that are, you know, big, strong, able, uh, and not just to take the draw. They can stay on for a little bit. They can, like, like, like I said about Nardello, they can stay on, play a little offense, play a little defense. And you know, with Farrell, he he loves to hit. So <laughs> he sure you know, does. If he loses, and the ball's kind of rolling around, and he's gonna <laughs> choose between knocking your head off and getting the ball. Uh, guess which one he's gonna do? Yeah. <laughs> You know, um, there were a lot of performances that, that I, I really enjoyed watching. Um, obviously, Blaze Reardon came out that first game, had a struggle, but he completely revolutionized himself um, as that group play went on. He was fantastic uh, in the, the playoff game. But Zed Williams has been an absolute star playing alongside Matt Rambo. Yeah, and it's interesting with Williams, right? So you, his kind of evolution as a pro has been very mercurial. You know, he's he's up and down. He's 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 known as a hot and cold player. 
And I think what you're seeing with him playing with the Whipsnakes is kind of a team playing to him for the first time instead of him playing to the team. Mm-hmm. And by that, I mean, like, he's in a natural position of dodging and shooting and and being allowed to do that and given lanes to do that and playing with a guy like like Jay Carlson, playing with Rambo, getting him service. You know, that's the mm-hmm. kind of thing that he's maybe always needed. And some players, you know, I mean, he's a playmaker too. I think that's what Zed was before this. And he still is that. That's still in his game, in his DNA. But I think the best way to use him in the PLL has been as this, you know, secondary ball carrier, catch, finish, shoot, dangerous matchup play. And the Whipsnakes have used him, quite frankly, perfectly. Yes. So I think that's really the, been the difference in his production. Um, MVP of group play. You, you've mentioned MVP candidates a couple times. Um, but who would you give it to? If there was a group play MVP, who would it be? Uh, I'd give it to Nardella. Yeah. I, re- I really would. The The fact that I think when you, when you look at teams, there's seven teams, right? And he's the only dominant faceoff guy. You could say Connor Farrell is number two, but I think he's a distant two just because of the other aspects that Nardella brings that we previously talked about, his ability to score, his ability to pass, his ability to get the ball up and out off the ground. Uh, that's a guy that is having the best season of his career against the, probably some of the best competition he's ever faced. So I, I, I got to give it 75%. Kidding me? I got to give it to him. I'm not going to argue that, man. Don't don't try yeah, no, and start I, a fight with me. I don't want to argue with you on that. That that and and it's rare that you see a guy that dominant. And and people often say, oh, you know, it's just a face off. It's not a big deal. He's just winning the ball. His wing play is great. But for him to be considered an MVP just goes to show how important he is in the grand scheme of everything that they're doing. One of the reasons they're the number one seed, defending champs, and really looking like the best team in this tournament. Absolutely. I mean, enough praise cannot be heaped upon the Whipsnakes for their play. I'll, I'll give you that. Um, Rambo or Schreiber, who would you take if you had to choose one? Oh, man. I'm just building a team? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> this is going to come out wrong. But <laughs> I love I love guys that are killers, man. And that's the difference between those two. Mm. They're both very productive. But Tom Schreiber is a killer. Yeah. I want that guy. I want an assassin <laughs> to build a team around. And he... Last night, you saw it, man. He was activated. Yeah. He was he was like a robot doing crazy like things with the ball. His third goal, where it looks like he's not even trying to shoot, he takes a step after a dodge, kind of like settles for half a second, and then just looks at the net and goes, Nope, I'm shooting. Mm. Takes like one step. One not even a full step, one tiny step and fires the ball with like so much anger Mm -hmm. that there's no way it was going to get stopped. Like that's the guy. And he, he carries, he's, he's, I think he's carried a little too much. I think teams are, um, throwing that back check at him and you've seen him have a couple turnovers where you would never seen that a couple of seasons ago where teams are daring to, to push him. But the problem is, um, he just makes him mad. (laughs) So he's just going to get better when you when like he's the kind of player that if he messes up, he gets angry and better. 
So that's the that's the guy. And that's not to say that's just me personally. I mm. love guys like that. And by the way, Rambo is just always happy to be playing. So if you're a person that loves a guy that's fun to have in the locker room, like just rolls in with bruises all over his body, like high five in the trainers and stuff. That's the guy you go with. And, and that's just as good of a choice, by the way, because mm-hmm. he is hilarious. He's a great locker room guy. Um, he's basically stags his avatar on the field. Uh, I, I think it's just, I mean, not, not mentally, but just in the way that he is yeah. <laughs> d- delivering the message. They're two diametrically opposed personalities. Um, but I think, you know, there's value in both. But for me, uh, I, I take I take Tommy. I've really enjoyed Rambo's back and forth with Boyle when they talk. Yeah, that's, you know, I think they've tried to um, push that as a feature this year. And, mm-hmm. and that would that to me would be the most successful pairing of uh, broadcaster to player. Uh, and I think that if they can find maybe a few more of those guys as the series like continues as as the, you know, in the semifinals, if they can find another person that has that chemistry. Yeah. um, I think they should ride that out. That's it's very entertaining. He's had a couple comments like the, Oh, I got to run. And then, uh, you know, I'm thick and like, it's just, he plays into the role and he does as well. And he's one of those guys who's a character, like you said, but he just understands that in that moment, you have to be comedic and professional at the same time. And fun, yeah. Like he's fun. He's like how is how is Rambo's jersey not the number one number one selling jersey? Yeah, that's I what I want to know. I don't know. Man. It's a popularity yeah. contest, but obviously people aren't smart enough to think and realize that the guy is popular. Yeah, they will. They will though. They will. People come around to great players, man. People come around to great personalities that are also great players. That's a true story. You can be one or the other, um, and a lot of guys are one or the other. It's mm-hmm. very difficult to find someone that's both, but he's both. Um, there was no reseeding after the group play, so the Whips actually get the number four seed in the woods, a rematch of last year's finals, and it's going to be the number three Archers versus the number seven Chaos. Would you have liked to see them do a reseeding, or are you happy with how this is? Honestly, I don't get why all seven teams made the playoffs. Yeah. I don't like it. I don't like it. Why'd you do it? Like, if you were 0-4, you shouldn't be in the semifinals. Like, I'm sorry. And a like, chance to go to the finals. <laughs> yeah, and, and with a chance to, like, play for the championship in, like, two, two three games. Like, that's – I don't know. If I'm going to throw any criticism whatsoever, it's at least drop one of the teams, mm-hmm. if not two, right? Because then it makes the group play matter. But, again, you know, they were building something that is different, and had to be as exciting as possible. And listen, a number seven seed coming out and getting an upset in the first round is exciting. Absolutely. You can't argue against that. Uh, but I do think that the regular group play stage should have had some sort of meaning. Because the only meaning it had anything to was the whips to get a bye. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. What do you think was the biggest turnaround for Chaos? Was, was it as simple as taking Connor Fields out? Or did you think that... Andy Towers threatened to eat every single one of his players that if they didn't win that game. Dude, I don't, I don't know what Towers. You never know what's going on in Towers' mind. <laughs> I gave up uh, many years ago trying to figure that out. He is a different beast of a coach, that's for sure. Uh, I think a lot of people are focusing on the field move, and you're not wrong to to talk about it. But what you have to look at is what they actually changed in the offense. Correct. And what they did was. They gave Dane Smith the ball and mismatched him against smaller poles and smaller 
defensive midfielders so that he could operate with a little time and the ball in his stick. And that changed pretty much everything. I, I don't know how else to to kind of describe it. You know, we were arguing in the inside the cross slack last night. I was like, guys, it's not just fields. Like they, they put guys in that like to pass the ball and not carry, but the guys that are carrying are guys that should be, should have been carrying the whole time. Yeah. They're playmakers, you know, it's, and the, the physicality of a guy like, like Smith mixed with the quickness of, of Dixon and the intelligence of, you know, uh, Miles Thompson to know where to be. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Miles barely played in the group stage. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, you're you're basically going one for one as a replacement. And the other thing that the chaos did that that I was highly critical of the whole time, they made no lineup adjustments on their own that weren't influenced by injuries for four straight games. And then they come in and they make this huge switch, and everyone's like, "Oh my god, <laughs> they made this huge switch!" And I'm like, "Well, what did you think they were gonna do?" Yeah, yeah. You can't roll out the same team that went 0-4 to the playoffs. You're lucky to be there. You got to change something. And it worked out very well what they changed. And their defense, by the way, is also a reason they won that game because the defense played their best game without Jack Rowlett. Which is crazy. Yes. Very crazy. Um, We should focus on Blaze a little bit because he just continues to be a standout performer uh, in between the pipes, but also one of those characters that the PLL needs to really build off of. Yeah, I was actually just scrolling through Instagram before we started taping, and I saw his kind of uh, his commercial with String King, where it was him as a him as a forward in in the NLL. Yeah, I, I reposted that video last night because I could hear him tapping his posts whenever they were coming back from break. I was like, oh, I remember oh, yeah. that String King commercial, and it's just classic Blaze. Yes, yes, and he he's great. Like I, when I think that's part of why the Goddet thing popped off mm-hmm. because people that know Blaze and like Blaze did not like uh, Matt Goddet saying he sucked right next to him. Right. That is not something they enjoyed. No. Uh, and there's a lot of people that are Blaze fans, man. Like, why wouldn't you be? What's wrong with him? Nothing. The only thing I wanted from him that I did not get in any part of the series so far is a full field run. Oh, I, he went ha- went across half last night and I was like, just oh, keep going. Did. Yes, I, I was yelling. I yes, was yelling me too. At TV. I was like, go, 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 go. go. Shoot a two-pointer, like, Blaze. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, would lo- I would love that. If Blaze scored a two-pointer, I think, like, all of lacrosse Twitter would explode. Absolutely. I wanted to see it happen. Yes, agree. It would have been awesome. Um, I, I think he, he's been he's been fantastic. But, all right, Whips, Woods, Arch, Oss, who you got? Uh, Whips, Archers. Whips, Archers, yeah. No, yeah. no upsets. You're just going straight one three. I like it. To me, the it would be weird if the whips or the archers didn't win. Yeah, it, they've just like, been the best two teams overall. Yeah, it's the, not just you know, it's not just uh, the talent, right? I, I think it's the way the teams are run. Uh, the personnel that they have is great, but the way that they play. Uh, I think the Whipsnakes defense might be the best pro field defense I've ever seen. And the Archers defense is probably like a top five. So if you're talking about defense winning championships, I don't see how it's not one of those two. But that being said, 
you know, the Redwoods made some weird changes last night and it worked out starting Brent Adams on attack and it totally works out for them. Uh, you know, Miles Jones getting freed up and, and finally score, you know, having a, a MVP style mm. or at least all-star style output for maybe the second game of the tournament. That's big, you know, having Sergio Perkovic, you know, it's clear drawing penalties because teams do not like him. No. I, I tweeted that last night, and mm-hmm. everyone's like, "We talk about." It. I'm like, "Dude, watch the games. <laughs> Teams do not enjoy him. They do not, and they probably just don't enjoy getting him dropping like seven two pointers in their right. face. But at the same time, they still just don't enjoy him personally, which I think is funny. When when players are like super hated by other players, even the God Death thing to me was a little bit like, well, I mean, you knew that was going to happen, right? Like you had to know that. So it's always going to kind of turn out that way, you know." We've talked about how impressive this whole two-week bubble has been for the PLL. And, uh, you know, I've really enjoyed them having, you know, quote-unquote celebrities on during the broadcast and getting Bill Belichick to smile and the Method Man song. Like, things they're doing are really amping PLL's notoriety throughout the sporting world. And, you know, come Monday, this is all going to be over. What do they do to build off of this? And what do they do next for next season to make it even better than this? Wow. Uh, what a question. I mean, you know, I, I don't want to give away my plans of what I want to do. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But uh, I think that the way that they frame it is they they follow the athletes the whole year. That's the move. You follow all – you pick guys from teams or you have them volunteer – uh, and you like, it's not just filming workouts, right? It's like anyone can film a workout. Mm-hmm. I look great. If you film my workout, especially <laughs> if I edit it, like, <laughs> yeah. trust me, yeah. like, don't worry about that. But like the everyday things, the things to keep fans engaged, they have amped up their, uh, merchandise sales. They've, uh, announced a lot of new partnerships. Uh, I think the way that they keep, they, they continue the revenue stream is to highlight the players. Yeah. The, the players make the league. I think they're they're doing this thing where they're not necessarily tying in all their merchandise to players. They're tying it into events. And I think that can work in the short term. But the long term is, you know, you need to, like, have T-shirts with sayings on them for players, like, like pro wrestlers, mm-hmm. right? Like, you need to develop the personality of the player. And, you know, I'm going to pull back the curtain a little bit here, like, before, you know, PLL got announced and, you know, we knew about it in the inside of the cross offices when I was uh, the gear and lifestyle editor there, they had a meeting and I was in the meeting and, uh, you know, Paul was sitting there and he's like, well, you know, what, uh, you guys have any thoughts? And I kind of, you know, looked around and I was like, can I talk? Is this okay? <laughs> and I looked him right in the eye and I was, I was, like, I was like, dude, how are you going to develop all these guys like media skills? And to his credit. You know, they hired people to teach these guys how to talk to people like me and to to like kind of showcase who they are as people and and amp it up. And I think the next step is truly amping that up and truly pushing player personalities to a level where the player also gets the agency in the say of what his image is going to be and what his role is going to be. And he they can kind of let that player develop it with their help. You know, I think right now they have done a really good job of identifying certain guys that do that naturally. 
But the next step is to get the next generation of guys that are comfortable in front of a camera without swearing, by the way, uh, <laughs> that are uh, appealing in terms of uh, their person, their general personality and aren't like annoying. And also guys that are, you know, can sell product themselves, the league and the game. That's it's a lot of listing and a lot of checks to check off on your checklist. But there are at least a dozen guys in this league that can do that right now. Roll out of bed and cover. Like Deion Sanders used to say, roll out of bed and cover. There are guys that can roll out of bed and be engaging. You just got to find them. How's lacrosse going for you? It's a new endeavor for you, and, and you're trying to you, – you got yourself a podcast, a little newsletter. Uh, you're doing some things. Yeah, it's it's fun. So uh, I'm a I'm – a, guess I'm a freelancer. I don't – you know, it doesn't feel free. <laughs> but I'm a, I'm, I'm a contractor with Inside the Cross right now, so I can write for other people if I want to. And then I kind of went, well, why would I do that when I can just write for myself and create a newsletter? And I – had no idea that was even an option. I actually spoke to a soccer writer. Uh, his name is Ryan O'Hanlon that used to write for The Ringer. Mm-hmm. And then I spoke to uh, Matt Brown, whose newsletter is Extra Points. He used to work for SB Nation. And both of them were like so supportive of putting a lacrosse offering into that space at Substack. Uh, and the CEO of Substack actually reached out to me. So that when that happened, I was like, okay, well, um, someone's f- like – forcing me to do this like like fate is forcing me to create something uh and i love that process i don't think everything's been super successful that i've done but that's part of the fun of it right like if you don't report to someone else for you know to to have clicks or whatever you're gonna let your imagination run a little wild and create some stuff and and part of the fun is making mistakes but also part of the fun is bringing new people kind of into that other part of the discussion right where Maybe there's some, some stuff between the lines that a lot of lacrosse media doesn't cover. And that's kind of where I want to live. I want to have, you know, I want to have fun, but I also want to make an impact. And, you know, I, I got a chance to do that with the the Iroquois Nation story. And I got to tell you, man, the, the feedback, the impact, the just everything about it uh, was fulfilling on every level. And that is the what I was shooting for. And again, I didn't know I was shooting for it till I did it. And then I kind of had it, had the idea. Was I was so nervous about writing it that the the night before I sent a couple drafts of it out uh, to people in lacrosse, and they were like, "I don't know, man. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I don't know." And I was like, "Okay, well, I'm gonna do it." You know, and uh, I had it, I had it. Uh, scheduled to come out at 8 a.m. And I woke up at 7.56. <laughs> and I looked at my phone and I went, there's still time. And there's like a, um, almost like a self-destruct button at the yeah. bottom of the thing where I can not send it. Yeah. And I stared at it for four straight minutes. And I was like, don't do it. Let it go. Let it ride. Let's go. Let's, let's like try and make a difference. Mm-hmm. Let's try and get this out there. And when it hit, I was shocked. You know, I, I was shocked. You know, and and I think that you know we're working. I'm I'm working on stuff for, uh, with the the Black Players Alliance. Uh, I've been talking to a bunch of those guys, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Black Lives Matter stuff, and you know that's it's it's important. I think the one thing I've realized is, is that if you have a platform, and you believe in something, you owe it to the thing you believe in to use your platform, and that's I I don't think I realized that 
until all this, you know, madness with uh, COVID and, and all of that kind of refocused the laser, you know. So I'm very excited about what we're working on coming up. And not all of it's going to be impactful and some of it's going to be stupid and funny. Uh, we need that balance. You need that balance. Yeah. That, I mean, that's that. Listen, man, that's me. Like, I can have a discussion about film theory and then, like, make a fart joke. That's like, <laughs> that's my life. That's me. That's what I'm like. So I'm excited to kind of show people that and, you know, get get some more friends and get some more enemies at the same time. Everybody loves fart jokes, man. Yeah, of course. Never go it doesn't. You, you know what? You didn't start an in, international incident, so you're okay. Oh, uh, I, I feel like I kind of did. You uh, you called it a cold double-double. I, I don't drink coffee, but I don't think people drink those things cold. Oh, yeah. No, I, I totally made that up. Yeah. I have no idea what I'm talking yeah. about. It's, it's it's a coffee <laughs> thing, but whatever, man. Um, yeah. You can find him on Twitter, the Kyle Devitt. You can also follow Lacrosity, L-A-C-R-O-C-I-T-Y. Um, great stuff as always, my friend. I appreciate all the coverage you're doing for the PLL and giving us some time to have some laughs and talk about the great stuff they're doing down the bubble. I appreciate you, my dude. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, and uh, you're a legend. There he is. That's Kyle Devitt, Inside Lacrosse, Lacrosity, and all things PLL. And once college lacrosse starts getting going, he'll be all over that. But please, go follow and subscribe to his newsletter. It's also a podcast. Uh, there are some great things, and, and you heard him talking about the Iroquois story and that is a story that needs to be told, and it is a story that is far from over. And he kind of speaks bluntly about it, and you may not agree with some of the things he has to say, but the sport needs more people who are willing to voice the right opinions or their opinions and get the information out there. And Kyle Dev is just one of the great people doing amazing things to help this sport get to where we need it to be. And I'm not talking about growing the game or quote-unquote sport of the future. Just taking the right steps to where we need to be. And if you read his article about the Iroquois National Saga that's going on right now in the IOC, and, and we've talked about it before, he makes the point that lacrosse in the Olympics maybe shouldn't be our end goal. Because for our sport to be in the Olympics, it's going to have to change. And it's going to have to modify itself to be Olympic friendly and viewer friendly. And when women's field lacrosse was at the World Games in Poland, if you recall, they played with different rules. And I'm interested to see when the World Games go to Birmingham, Alabama next year, what kind of rules the sport of lacrosse will have to be under. And if they're going to bastardize the sport into something that it's not, just to say, hey, look, lacrosse made it to the Olympics, is it worth all the time and money people are investing? And is it worth it if the Iroquois aren't there? That's like the other part of the question. And I know there are a lot of people putting 
an incredible amount of time and money to get our sport on the grandest stage of them all. And I appreciate all the hard work that they are doing. But I'm kind of happy with where the World Box Lacrosse Championships and the World Field Lacrosse Championships are right now. We have more sports, more countries playing our sport than ever before. Why not just keep building off that and growing off that? And see where it can take us. Because if it means completely changing how field lacrosse looks or box lacrosse looks, and I've always said I don't think it's going to be box lacrosse in the World Games or in the Olympics. It's going to be field lacrosse. If you're going to completely change the rules and make it seven on seven with no long sticks or half field or whatever, is it worth it? Just think on that for a while. And understand the process that we'll have to go through. We can have that conversation at a later date. Or drop me an email. Teddy.Jenner at gmail.com Let me know what you think. Is lacrosse going to the Olympics the greatest thing for our sport? Is that where we should be focusing our attention? And is it worth it to go if the Iroquois aren't allowed? Or, I don't want to say not allowed. Unable to go through the right stages to get into the Olympics. Because they're allowed. They just have to go through a lot of processes to be allowed. And we went over that in the last few shows. So, we've talked about a lot this week. Um, NLL free agency is going to continue. There are still some big names out there that need contracts. Stay tuned to the lacrosseflash.com for as much of it as you can. Also follow me on Twitter at off the crossbar and I will bring you as much of it as I can. Thanks to Kyle Devitt for stopping by and giving us some time Thursday. The PLL semifinals get going. I got whips and the chaos to pull an upset. Whips are just too damn good. And I'm not going against Blaze. That guy is ready to run through his own brick wall that he's built in front of the net. I appreciate you as always. Don't forget you can follow the show on Instagram, Twitter, and email me. You can also check us out on lacrosseflash.com, Spotify, Apple iTunes, Apple Music, wherever you get your streaming done. Until we speak again, stay safe and be excellent to each other. I am an apple.